This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The root cause of sickness is disharmony inside, which filters outward from our inner landscape to the outside world. The warfare and disharmony around our planet today speak to a profound imbalance of the inner world of mankind. It is not surprising, then, that according to the World Health Organization, the leading causes of death in the world are heart disease and stroke. Our inner mental and psychological states can have a profound effect on our physical bodies. To correct this, we each have a responsibility to listen to our hearts. Valeria Tellis interviews John Lockley, the author of Leopard Warrior, A Journey into the African Teachings of Ancestry, Instinct, and Dreams. John Lockley is a fully initiated and ordained Sangoma, African shaman from the Kohosa Nation, the same nation as Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu in South Africa. His apprenticeship took 10 years, he was one of the first modern white men in recent times after apartheid to be awarded the title of Lakiri Linkulu by his elders, meaning Senior Sangoma. He has pioneered the bridge between modern Western psychology and traditional South African healing. His Kohosa name given by his teacher is Yusingo Windaba, meaning the messenger or bridge between cultures. He is also a Sangoma in the Swazi nation and called Gogo Moya, for the last 10 years, he has been facilitating Ubuntu, Humanity, and Way of the Leopard Retreats worldwide, teaching people how they can reconnect to their ancestors, spirit, and the earth. Meet John at johnlockley.com. Here's the interview with John Lockley. In your own words, who is John Lockley? <laughs> who is John Lockley? Okay. Well, I'm a South African-born traditional healer or traditional shaman known as a Sangoma. And I was born in South Africa and I traveled the world bringing the teachings of Nelson Mandela, which is Ubuntu, meaning humanity. That's who I am. That's who I am right now, and it might change over time, but this is who I am right now. Life and death, what are they? What is life? What is death? And what is the balance between them, John? I don't know. What is it for you? It's different for each person, life and death. <laughs> so true, and that's why I asked the question, because there's so many <laughs> different answers. It seems like we all have different answers, and that's what makes life so colorful, doesn't it? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, and everyone has such a different experience of life and death. And, you know, coming from South Africa, um, 
it's going to be a different experience to say someone in a, in a culture like in the US or in a developed or a first world country. So yes, uh, it's hard to know how to answer that exactly. <laughs> Do you believe in balance? that there is such a thing as living in balance? And if you do, what would that be? Living in balance. I think living in balance, you could say, is living in harmony. And to live in harmony means to find space inside of yourself for, for the three things that are most important. And that would be family, um, your connection to family, and then your connection to work or vocation. And then your connection to, to spirit. Mm. And I could probably even say a fourth thing because not everyone has family as such or they might have extended family, yeah. but they might be single. So I could say that um, the first relationship we have is a relationship with ourselves. And then the second relationship is with our family and with our ancestors. And then, and then we have a vocation. How are we moving in the world? You know, how are our gifts expressed and our skills expressed in the world and then the fourth element um, which is not the last but it's it's connected to all of this and that would be our relation to relationship to our spirituality to our connection to to god or, or consciousness i love the first relationship being with oneself kind of navigating your own inner world and that brings me to the question about you becoming a Africa shaman, Sangoma. How did you become a an African shaman? Was that a choice or just happened? Yeah, I don't think it ever is a choice. In South Africa, it's um, we're very lucky because in South Africa, we have one of the oldest cultures or living cultures of shamanism in the world. And a lot of people in the U.S. might not be aware of that. So in traditional shamanism, not just in South Africa, but in the world, you don't choose to become a shaman. Mm. You are called through dreams and through illness. And that's the way you're called. So in my situation, this is what happened to me. I was called in my dreams. I had very strong and still do. But during my calling time, I had these very strong dreams I've been called into the spirit world to train. And at the same time, I also received a, a very severe illness, which is what we call in South Africa the calling illness, the call, the calling illness to become a Sangoma, to become a traditional shaman. And that's called the Twaza, Twaza illness. And this is well documented around the world with traditional shamanism, like in Siberia or Mongolia. It's just not really spoken about so much now in terms of contemporary shamanism. So I, I got very, very sick for about seven years and I came close to death. And when I finally met my teacher, Mamguevu, in the townships of South Africa, um, the night before I met her, she had a dream from the Great Spirit where the Great Spirit said to her that she needed to prepare herself to apprentice someone to become a senior Sangoma like herself and that she must be, be aware that this person is going to come from another culture. And then the next day I came through her gates and she said I was the one that she had to train. And then she sat down and she gave me a divination. And the divination is basically you read someone, you read their soul and you read their illness and you read the disharmony inside of them. And she said to me, what took you so long to come to me? Mm. And I said to her, apartheid. And she said, 
and just for people who who are listening who don't know, apartheid was a, a a very extreme form of social engineering in South Africa, where white people were forced to live in a separate way to black people, and vice versa. And it was very extreme. And then it ended with uh, with Nelson Mandela in 1994, with a new democratic government. So I'd been sick for a long time, and I wasn't able to find my teacher because of apartheid. So I said to her, apartheid, and she said, I And she said, oh God, oh God, you almost lost you. You almost died. And then a tear went moving down her face. And then she looked at me and she said to me, do you want to become a Sangoma? Do you want to become my apprentice? And I said to her, what does it mean to become a Sangoma? And she said, to become a Sangoma means the ancestors are going to move through you and you're going to be able to help heal people in all different ways. And it also means that you're going to stop being so sick. So I said to her, okay. I said, I'll become, I'll be, become your apprentice, but on one condition. And she said, what is that? I said that you train me as if I'm across a man, not don't, don't cut any corners because I'm a white man and I don't know the crosser language. I said to him, you can make it as tough as you like for me. I said, I don't care. I'll learn the language. And she said to me, don't worry, that's the only way to train you. <laughs> so then I trained with her for for for, for ten years. I apprenticed with her for ten years, and and then I became one of the first uh, white, um, you know, modern white uh, people to to become a a senior Sangoma in that particular area of the Eastern Cape, which is where Nelson Mandela is from. But it's in recent history because in the past, going back in history, there would have also been some white people that became Sangomas. And now in our modern democratic South Africa, there's a lot more white people who have who have received the calling and been invited by elders to become apprentices and then Sangormas. Because you don't go to an elder and say, apprentice me to become a Sangorma. You don't do that. You go for a consultation and then they invite you in. You never go to an elder in South Africa and say, can you train me to become a Sangorma? It's not the way it works. That's because it's apprenticeship. It's not like signing up for shamanic practitioner's course. It's it's not like that. Apprenticeship is different. And no one wants to become a Sangorma. And if they do, then there's a problem because it's the ego that is speaking. Right. To become a shaman, mm. to become a traditional shaman is extremely difficult. And it's not something mm. that you choose to do because if you're choosing to do it, it's your mind and your ego speaking. And that means the ancestors can't move through you because they can't speak through you because you have a strong opinion of the glamour of, of, of shamanism. And unfortunately, in the Western world now, shamanism is glamorized way too much. And in more developed countries where shamanism is still practiced as an indigenous culture, it's not glamorized because we know the pain it takes to train someone to become a shaman. And we also know that when someone becomes a shaman, they are empaths, which means they feel the suffering of the world. They feel the suffering of a fly. They feel the suffering of people and the suffering of the spirit world. So even though it's a very beautiful and and a very um, noble profession, it's not something you just say to someone, oh, I think you should become a shaman. That's, uh, that is not correct. However, nowadays, um, there is two different kinds of shamanism in the world. There's contemporary shamanism and there's, there's traditional shamanism. And they are quite different. 
Um, and I think that they can learn from each other. So if someone says, oh, they finished university, I think I'm going to go and train to become a shaman. Um, it's contemporary shamanism. It means they want to go and do a shamanic practitioner's course and learn how to journey and things like that. Traditional shamanism involving apprenticeship, you have to be invited in. Well, thank you, John, for exploring that, the world of shamanism, traditional shamanism. And one of the things that you learn would you say well, in that training includes also losing the fear of death? You never lose the fear of death. Mm-hmm. The fear of death nice. is your connection to, to living. Oh, wow. That's one of the things that probably a misconception about shamans, right? That they lose the fear of death. Right. That would be stupidity then, wouldn't it? I think I understand what you say. I don't mean to be cryptic here. I think I do understand what you're saying. I've actually just come off the phone with my teacher this morning and haven't spoken to her for a year because of COVID. And I'd had a dream about one of her best friends who passed many years ago. And her best friend was a was a very humble um, Sangoma and very, very strong. And I dreamt about her a few a few weeks ago. And I was very close to her, her friend, um, and I dreamt about her and and she she spoke to me in the dream. And then I told the message to my teacher this morning. And what my teacher said to me, she is alive, she is not dead, she is alive, her spirit has come back. So I think that's maybe what the listeners want to hear, and maybe that's what you're you're alluding to, is that as 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 shamans, as sangomas, we see the 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 immortality of the human soul. And often if someone comes back to the world of the living and dreams, it's a sign that they're coming back as an ancestor, but also they're coming back as a spirit guide. And not everyone does when they die, but a lot of people do. So I think that's probably what you're speaking about, the the immortality of the human soul and how we see our departed and loved ones in the spirit world. And, And I have that experience, yes. The purpose of life, what do you think the purpose of being here, the human experience, for many of us, or for all of us, we have one single purpose in common, or it's all different? I think, I think there's a purpose which we are all connected to. And I think, you know, as the, as the Buddha said, the Buddha said the, the purpose of life is for us to find our purpose. And it's a quest, it's a spiritual quest. And I think each person has a responsibility to to find, you could say, their calling or their purpose in life. And that requires work. It requires dedication. It requires concentration. But more than anything, it requires that will and that intention in your third eye to say, I want to find my calling or I want to find my my connection to, to God because we, we say in South Africa, each person is born a human being, but you have to make a decision to become a human being. Mm-hmm. So to become a human being means to be connected to your own spirit, to your own soul. And sometimes, well, often it requires a lot of work and often a lot of discomfort because there's a lot of distractions in the world and you can go from, you can go from one experience to the next and you could spend your whole lifetime going from one experience to the next, but not really developing a relationship with your soul, with who you are. So the purpose of life for all of us is to find our calling and how we can express our spirit in the world. And part of that expression of our spirit is 
to find our spirit, to find our soul. And your soul is different to your ego. Your soul is immortal. Your soul moves into the dream time every day. And when you pass and you leave this world, your body drops and your spirit continues to journey. So the purpose of this life is to develop our relationship first with our own spirit and our soul. And once we are in relationship to ourselves, to our own spirit, then we can learn about the relationships with others, with our ancestors, with our family, even with the plant and animal worlds. It first starts with our relationship with ourself and our own soul. Because, you know, if you are not connected to your soul and your spirit and you don't know your dreams and you don't know what's happening when you sleep at night, how can you have a completely genuine relationship with any other creature? And when you say purpose, do you also mean destiny? Are they the same? In the chapter you sent to me, you mentioned destiny, the word destiny. Yes, it's a little bit different, but there is a a common thread. So for example, you could say um, like a wise person or a a wise person or like an elder or a clairvoyant could say that this young child's destiny is to become a healer or a sage or a doctor or an engineer because they can read it in their face and in their aura. So that would be the person's destiny that someone can see. And sometimes if you're a young person or you're six years old or seven years old, and even as an adult, you can remember how you were as a child, you can say, okay, it was my destiny to become, you know, doing like, for instance, what you're doing, um, um, Uh, Valeria, you know, that when you're a child, maybe you like to interview people or ask questions or, and then you could say, okay, there was my destiny to become an interviewer and a podcast host and do the work I'm doing because of these patterns I had as a child. So, so they are similar. And then of course, you know, as people get older, your destinies change, you know, so if you realize your calling, then your calling in terms of your mission in the world, if you realize that, then the next thing is, is is you receive a second destiny, you receive like a second calling, which is connected to the first. But sometimes people struggle to even realize their first calling and their first purpose. And so it's hard for them to basically realize their destiny. And and the reason is, 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 is mostly because people have a fear of connecting with their own spirit. And then because of that fear, they blame, you know, they blame governments or conspiracy theories, or they blame, 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 and it's all someone else's fault, always someone else's fault. And sometimes legitimately, there are people who are making things difficult for them to move forward in the world. But at the end of the day, that responsibility Mm -hmm. to find your calling and to bring it into the world is, is up to each one of us. Each one of us has the power to do that. All we have to do is listen to the wind inside ourselves. Yes, it takes um, courage and trust, doesn't it, John? To, yes, for to sure. answer yeah. that call. Mm. Yeah, I'll be asking you questions about pain too. It's very interesting, this idea of um, understanding pain and navigating through pain. Rather than pushing away, we have this tendency to push away pain instead of listening to it. So you wrote the book, Leopard Warrior, A Journey into the African Teachings of Ancestry, Instinct, and Dreams. 
Uh, two yes. initial questions. What was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book? And then talk to me for a moment about the leopard and why it is so inspiring, this animal. So the leopard is a noble creature. And in, in Africa, you often see nobility, whether they're kings or queens or even going back into history. The, the, the nobility was often expressed through someone having a, a leopard skin or leopard headdress. And even if you look at statesmen in Africa today, a lot of them would have even, um, even faux or false um, leopard skin, but still the look of the leopard and the leopard skin. So the reason for that is because the leopard is an animal that navigates in the twilight realm, you know, between, between the light of the day and the light of the dark. And the leopard is seen to have extreme um, intelligence in terms of intuitive intelligence. And they balance that intelligence between the natural world and the spirit world. So they're moving, always navigating between the two worlds, between the spirit world and the and the natural world, the physical world, and they have this incre incredibly developed sense of 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 instincts. You know, all their their their, their senses are developed. Um, they have a very high sense of smell, of hearing, of agility, and also they are independent they don't need any other creature so they show a lot of strength and a lot of resourcefulness so when you've got a statesman in africa with a leopard skin they are saying to the world that they are looking to be resourceful and independent and they are drawing on that strength from the animal kingdom and from that totem animal of the leopard so a lot of traditional healers throughout africa and in particular in South Africa, a lot of traditional healers will have an image of the leopard or or, or leopard skin, you know, false leopard skin because of poaching is, right, is often right. just uh, like a fabric that yeah. that um, looks like leopard, but it isn't. And a lot of people will have that around their shrines, around their herbs. I have that as well. And it's just to remind us that our job as a human being and as an intuitive is to walk like the leopard, to open all our senses, all our seven senses, to open them and to, you know, to wake up our sense of sight, to wake up our sense of feeling, our hearing, our sense of smell, to wake up all our senses and then to navigate and move through the natural world. Wow, that has been a journey itself, just listening to you. <laughs> it made the mind just um, go places. In your book, you write, the leopard reminds us humans about the importance of connecting to all our senses, as you said, moving through the natural world with harmony, balance, mindfulness, and poise. So you said that, you mentioned earlier about um, harmony, balance, right? It always goes back to it. And it, that, for some reason, every time I hear harmony, balance, it kind of um, make, makes me think about nature. It just always goes back to nature itself. The trees, the water, the animals. It's so, it's a lot of grace, the way they move. So also, I know you have the book and you also have the audio teachings, Way of the Leopard. So talk to me about that and how can we find, have access to these audio teachings? 
Yes, it's available in, in most um, most outlets. So Leopard Leopard Warrior is my book, and people can can get that copy on on my website johnlockley.com, or through the Sounds True website, my publisher, or through Amazon. And the the second product I have, which is the Way of the Leopard, is an audio course. So it's a course teaching people how to connect to the the leopard inside of them, how to connect to their instincts, because that is the relationship I'm talking about, that relationship with our spirit, that relationship with our soul is that relationship of rewilding ourselves, because once we are connected to our soul, once we are connected to our spirit, then we have a relationship to the animals in the world. We have a relationship to the sparrows outside, to the plants, to the to the wild geese, because we are connected to the wildness inside of us. So to connect to your soul is also to connect to your inner wilderness and your inner wildness. Mm. So the way of the, the leopard, um, that audio course, is taking people on a journey on how to connect to the wildness inside of you and also how to move like the leopard. So I'll be talking about trance rhythms. I'll be talking about dancing. I'll be talking about dreams and how to connect with your dreams. I'll talk about the importance of ancestors and developing a relationship with your bones of gratitude and of love. I'll also speak about how to find your soul and your spirit and I give simple teachings like heartbeat meditation and feeling the pulse inside your veins and closing your eyes and taking a deep breath through your body. And just through doing that, you are walking in the, in the path of, of many mystics and yogis and shamans and just doing it for a few minutes every day and having that intention of connecting to your spirit, something will start to happen to you. In your book, you say to cure illness, all you need to do is to look within arm's reach of ourselves. So you have the elephant story there too, which is really cute. Um, so the first question that came to mind is the difference between healing and cure. Is there a difference? <laughs> That's such a good question. The healing and cure. Well, I think for the listener and for you and me, you know, there is no cure for life because we all have a terminal illness. We're yeah. all going to die. <laughs> right. And That's and true. everyone is looking for mm. they're looking for immortality mm. in the physical world, but there is no immortality. The only immortality is in your spirit. So you'll never be cured from life because mm. we've all got a terminal illness. We don't know how much time we've got on this planet. Right. So that's why that relationship with your spirit is your relationship to your immortality. So is there ever a cure? I don't know. Is there healing? Yes. Because once you connect to your spirit and you connect to your inner landscape, then over time you're not going to be as, as worried about death. And, you know, the biggest illness in the modern world now is the fear of death. And that leads to massive consumerism, which leads to a terrible, terrible um, footprint on the natural world. And, um, and we have to be really be careful because if we carry on like this, who knows what the future is going to be for all of us. And the root of it is an incredible fear of death because, you know, once you are connected to your spirit – 
you don't have like a strong desire to hoard and to buy loads of things and to, to become this voracious, hungry ghost. You don't have that desire. So going back to our first questions, you know, it's a responsibility of people, not just for themselves, but for one another and for this planet, for us to connect to our spirit so that we can find harmony and healing, not just for ourselves, mm. but for the animals and plants and for the next generation of humans. And that is it kind of it's a natural movement, isn't it? When you find the connection within, then it just expands and it's just natural to touch other lives. Yeah, but I was just going to talk about telepathy. You know, yeah. um, one of the things that, that always um, inspired me growing up in South Africa was the ability of people Uh, the tra traditional people in South Africa to communicate with their loved ones over long distances. And they had this remarkable ability of, of, of telepathy, of communication. And this was way before cell phones. We're talking about the 50s, the 60s, the 40s, a long time ago. And in South Africa, there was a term for it called the bush telegraph. The bush telegraph is a, is like a, it's just a, a euphemism for people being able to connect with one another over long distances just through their minds, through through the love in their hearts for one another. And this is the ability of every human being, mental telepathy, and that comes from empathy. So when people are obsessed with consumerism, then they are blocking that ability to basically communicate with the world just with their minds. So I guess that's the reason why I asked you the question in the beginning about losing the fear of death, because that seems to be the biggest one for humans. I'm glad you mentioned that, that the more we reconnect or connect with the spirit, then I really believe we lose the fear, don't we, John? There's a sense of freedom, of liberation. I think there might always be a certain amount of fear with death, um, because obviously we don't want to, to die, so there is that instinct, preservation instinct. I remember my Zen master, which I write about in my book, Leopard Warrior, my Zen master from South Korea, Subong. And I remember him saying to us, you know, you know, I'm afraid of death as well. I don't want to die. And, and I still remember when he did die, you know, he died on his cushion in Hong Kong in the middle of an interview and he had this massive heart attack, but he died in a very dignified way. He died the way he lived. Mm. And he asked the student across from him, what is universal sound? What is universal consciousness? And she answered him and he said, correct. And then he died. So wow. it was incredible. It was like a real Zen, um, mm. a Zen master's uh, ending. And, and, but even so, he did say to us, he didn't want to die. He was afraid of death like all of us. Okay. But you see, there's the contradiction. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it's an instinct. We're all yeah. going to have a natural fear of death because we don't want to die and we don't want to leave our children and things like that. However, um, it doesn't mean that it's um, an illness, that fear of death is a natural instinct. But when it becomes neurotic, mm. when that right. fear becomes right. more ingrained, then you're dealing with almost like a psychosis, which you have in the modern world. And then it leads to this voracious appetite of consumption and also yeah. of I, my, me in terms of mm. fueling ego, like this is mine and that's yours. And then there's this fighting over property and things like that, which our indigenous um, uh, fellows and fellow men don't, um, or fellow women don't experience to the same extreme. So the fear of losing the body is actually natural because we are in um, 
body that has instincts and the it's all about protection of the organism so mm. that makes sense of course yeah it's like childbirth it's like childbirth valeria like for example childbirth you can't say to a, a woman um you might have one woman who's not really afraid of having another child maybe she's had children or she's developed an awareness of of her the spirit of the child inside of her and so she's not afraid of going to childbirth but if you say to her Oh, so you didn't have any pain. You know, every woman will be afraid of the pain to a certain extent because it is painful, but it doesn't mean that the whole experience is going to be full of fear, though. So pain doesn't really equate to fear. No. They're not necessarily connected, right? No, no. There's going to be discomfort, like there's discomfort with life. There is discomfort, but discomfort is not a problem. Only if it becomes neurotic and psychotic. Right. then it's like, I don't want to feel pain. So then I'm going to take drugs so that I always feel good. But then you can get very sick because there's two sides in life and that's um, feeling good and euphoric and then maybe not feeling good, but they're both part of the color of life. There's mm -hmm. no problem with both of them. Um, I wanted to mention that the chapter you sent to me has um, a part that I really love, which is a practice, listening to the heart. And you also have following the breath and the sagoman uh, divination. And then I love the before practicing, going through the, uh, the three practices that you mentioned to help us uncover the mystery of what it means to be a human being. You have these uh, clearing practices like creating the sacred space. That's really wonderful. I actually did some today. Mm -hmm. The ending questions, I have a final question. I have a lot more questions here for you. I kind of overprepared but not enough time to go through everything. So before I ask you my final questions, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Yes, I mean, what I could say to the listener or people who are interested in my work, if, if you need help, you know, just reach out to me and I do offer private sessions and also offer mentoring to people, you know, over Zoom. And I work with people all over the world in this particular way. And... I also offer a, a trip to South Africa, like a vision quest to Botswana, and it's called Dreams and Tracking the Kalahari. And it's a very unusual trip where I take people into the Kalahari Desert and I train them. So over seven days, me and my tracker friend, who both of us have indigenous training, you know, me as a Sangoma and him as a tracker, he was raised by a Bushman, a Bushman lady who trained him. And um, I will take people in for seven days on a vision quest and teach them indigenous technology from Southern Africa in terms of connecting with your spirit. And we use, I'll use plant medicine, natural South African plants, which is not hallucinogenic. And then we will show people how to track, how to track the leopard, how to track the lion, how to track the creatures in the desert. And it's a very, very unusual course and it's not been done anywhere in the world. And it's to teach indigenous technology to the modern person so that this hungry ghost consumer energy can, can start receding into, into history rather than putting pressure on the environment. Uh, if you have a link to that, please send it to me. It's all on my website. It's all on my website. All of this is on, but I can still send you the link here. But everything is on my website, johnlockley.com. Okay, I'll have that website. So at the end, let me see, John, I'll ask you two more questions. What is another word for healing? Grace. Because you heal, you heal not because of you. Like I heal not because of me, John. Mm. 
I heal because the spirits move through me, because the wind of God, the wind of Utiqua, the great spirit, moves through me. And the spirit only moves through me because of grace, because I get out the way. Mm. And it's not up to me. So healing is, is due to grace, I feel. Beautiful answer. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? It's unpredictable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's unpredictable. And what would be the second would be there's ex extreme beauty and sometimes extreme confusion and extreme suffering. And it's mystical. Life is mystical. You know, incredible things can happen within the blink of an eye. Incredible healing and magic and uh, miracles can happen. I think that's it. Let's say that. So let's say this. Life is unpredictable. Miracles happen. And we have we can't be afraid of discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Going back to that fear, yeah. Um, loosen up when it comes to fear. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much again for your presence, your wisdom, doing the work you do, and everything else in between. So again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects, John? Um, well, you can just you can find out about me on on my website um, johnlockley.com, and when you go onto the homepage, you can always leave your you can sign up for my newsletter. I have a, a newsletter which comes out every couple of weeks, and I also do a lot of live streaming where I give talks and I play my drum and I give traditional teachings from South Africa, and those live streams are free, and also my monthly webinars or a subscription. So people, if they want to do ceremonies with me, they're welcome to join me every month. And that's a closed group on Zoom. And um, and then, of course, I just give, I give workshops, regular workshops and private sessions. So if people want to know more, go onto my website, johnlockley.com, and then just sign up for my newsletter on the homepage. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. Bye for now, John. Bye now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about John Lockley and his work, please visit johnlockley.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.